our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace once more, thanking thee, Lord, for the message that we have heard so clearly this morning. We pray, Lord, that your presence would also be with us this afternoon as we seek a few more crumbs from the table that fall. Be with us as we look to thee, and be with those that do not have it as we do, those that are cannot make it here because of illness, because of difficulties and stresses in their lives. We pray that you'd be with them and walk through closed doors and visit them. Help us, O Lord, also to visit those that are shut in, the sick. There are many. We pray that we would be inspired to do so because we love the brethren. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dearly beloved, for the afternoon's meditation, this morning the book of Thessalonians came to my mind, and I'd like to read with the Lord's help from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first epistle to the Thessalonians chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of man sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as an earth cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how, God, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we <clears throat> exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which is in Judea, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, 
even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding, to, for, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have <clears throat> come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The subtitle, at least in the, Tom, uh, the Thompson chain reference Bible says, the special doctrine is the future advent of Christ. Is it a coincidence that Brother Edmund preached on the advent of Christ and that we're having the Advent series starting here? I didn't, I didn't see this until really now. I knew that Thessalonians spoke about the second return of the Lord because it speaks on two or three occasions about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And we've just read the last verse here, second to last verse, for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing are not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? We rejoice in this, that we would have this hope and confidence that you would be present with the Lord Jesus at his coming. Paul says that he prays this for all those that love his appearing in 2 Timothy 4, if I'm not mistaken. At the end of chapter 1, it says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and ye turned to God from idols to, the serving, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who, which delivered us from the wrath to come, this church was a waiting church. It was waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. So much so that if you go into chapter 4, he talks about what some people believe is the rapture. Some people believe that there is no rapture. Some people do. But he does, being, does talk about being uh, uh, the coming of the Lord again. He says in, in chapter 4, he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them. In other words, we shall not go ahead of them that sleep. We shall not go ahead of them which are, are dead in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that are dead in the graves shall rise first, then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's what snatched, the word snatched comes from, uh, and the word rapture comes from, 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we be forever with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. There's, there was this expectation that they would soon be with the Lord. And that's where we get our hymn, Forever with the Lord in Zion's Harp. That's the verse that it's based on, I believe. And then in chapter 5, it talks about the Lord coming, the day of the Lord. He's going to come like a thief in the night. And as a thief in the night, you know, many of us, we, we look at, and, and, and when, when things are happening in the world, great events, cataclysms, um, political events, financial uh, catastrophes, we're saying these are the signs of the times, the Lord is near. And we, we brace, and then when they, they go away, oh, we've got time. But... He says it's going to come like a thief in the night when you're not expecting it. When everything, when everything seems to be good. Jesus said it himself. He says, so shall it be like in the days of Noah. They shall be marrying and given in marriage. Life is going on as, as, as normal. Not that Christ was condemning marriage. But life is going on as normal. And all of a sudden, Christ appears. Some have said, I'm going to wait until five minutes before I die, before I give my life to God. The question is, when is five minutes before you die? So Paul, the apostle, is speaking to this church in Thessalonica, part of Greece, where he had a very bad experience. If you go back to the book of Acts chapter 16, he had a vision. There was a man of Macedonia, in a vision saying to Paul, come to Macedonia and help us. So he went to Macedonia. And he had um, quite the experience there. He met Lydia, the seller of purple. Um, he was thrown into jail because he took this woman, this, this, this woman that had this, the spirit of divination that was able to somehow prophesy and, and know the, fu the future perhaps. And she, and she said, and, and I don't understand this, she kept on following him around saying and crying, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way, the way of salvation. And Paul was annoyed with that. She was following him for days and saying, these men are the, mo the, the, the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And he was grieved, and he cast out that spirit. James says that the devils believe and they tremble. Don't say that you have faith. He says, the devils believe and they tremble. Show me your faith by your works, by how you exercise that faith. What are the fruits of your faith? It's still a bit of a quandary to me, but that's what Paul did. He could discern the spirits. It says that even Satan appears in the book of Corinthians as an angel of light. Master counterfeiter. And when the master, master of these, this woman found that their their the way of making money has been now taken away from them. They got angry. And Paul ends up in jail with Silas. And we know the story of how the, the earthquake came and uh, their, their bonds were loosed and, 
and the jailer was about to kill himself because he thought that they escaped on his watch and he'd be ex executed. And Paul says, do yourself no harm, we're here, we're safe. And trembling, the, the Philippian jailer gets on his knees and he says, good sirs, what shall I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. No sooner had that miracle occurred, uh, Lydia was, was found God. God opened her heart when she went to the river to pray. And, and, and the Philippian jailer and his house were saved. And then they had continued on preaching. They went on to Thessalonica. The first thing they did, they went to a synagogue. And even though Paul was the apostle to the, to the Gentiles, his first mission was to the brethren, his brethren, the kinsmen, of his flesh, Romans 9 says. And he would have given his own salvation up by the wording he used. He could wish himself to be accursed for the sake of his brethren. Same words that Moses used almost, that he would rather take his name out of the book of life in order that his brethren be saved. And he went to his own Jewish people and he was opening and alleging and trying to preach to them that Jesus Christ indeed suffered and was risen again from the dead. And some of them believed. This is the church he's writing to. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And the devout, of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few, means many. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took them of uh, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and created this big uh, ruckus and assaulted the house of Jason, probably where Paul may have been staying or uh, uh, he was hosting him. And when they found them, they them not. They didn't find the apostles. They took Jason and the certain brethren and the rulers of the city crying that they have come and they turned the world upside down and they've come here also. What a reputation to have. That these men, these two or three men that were traveling have turned the world upside down. What legacy have we left? Have we ever even in some ways nudged the world? In some ways been a thorn in the side of the world or does the world even know we are Christians and so the experience that he's talking about was his experience that he had in Thessalonica the church through much affliction much persecution was born in Thessalonica and now Paul has taken the time to write back to them, to exhort them, to comfort them. You know, you, you would think that the time was nigh when there was so much persecution going on. You know, brother, pray this morning. Thank you, God, for that we can live in a time of, that we have no persecution. Sometimes I'm wondering if it's a blessing or not. Of course we love to be without fear without being held to prisons. 
But I'm wondering, when did the church grow most? When was the church most packed and full? I remember there was one airliner in the middle of um, that, 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 that crashed in the middle of the states, Missouri or somewhere, and um, the, the, the headline in Time magazine was how people found God on flight dot, dot, dot. People found God on flight XXX, whatever the flight number was. Do we only seek God when times are tough? If that's going to be our remedy, perhaps we should pray for it. But does that fix our real problem? Are we doing it because we're afraid? Or are we doing it because we love? I wouldn't like to pray upon anyone the persecutions and, and, and the uh, sufferings that many of Christ's brethren suffered on this earth. We heard this morning of the great persecutions in China and underground churches there. I wouldn't want to wish that upon anyone, but when you think about it, you can live all your life in comfort and, and ease. But at the end... What have you gained? Jesus said, if you lose your own soul, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world? If you lose your own soul in this life, which is just a, a sliver of a, of, a, of a time scale compared to eternity, what does it profit you if you lose your own soul? So Paul comforts the people here in their affliction, in their uh, consternation, fear, confusion perhaps. And he says, I was shamefully treated, as you know. He didn't have to tell them they were there. Because preaching the gospel comes with much contention. There's much contention. There's much striving for. The devil doesn't want you to go that way. The devil wants you to stop preaching the gospel. He'll use fears, uh, uh, intimidation tactics. He'll use, he'll use human fear. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of him. That can only kill the body. But be afraid of him that not only can kill the body, but after the body is dead, can cast that soul into hell. Gehenna. He called it Gehenna fire. There's no question. It wasn't just Hades, which is the abode of the dead. He called it Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, the symbol of the never-ending, inextinguishable fire where their worm doesn't die. And the fire is not extinguished. There's going to be a lot of contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. They were blamed, the apostles were blamed that they were turning the world upside down. They were preaching things that they was not lawful for the Romans to hear. They were preaching of a, a, a being a servants to another Lord, not, not Caesar. They were using the same, they were playing the same card as they were with Jesus. We have no other king but Caesar. Really, Jew, you have no other king but Caesar. What a cop out. Now that you have no other king but Caesar, 
Isn't God your king? Do we somehow compromise when we face with difficult times? We, we won't admit, or we, we will not somehow let people know that we're Christians. Peer pressure is too much. I, I just, the other, the other thought that came into my mind was when he talked about we don't, we don't come to you in guile or deceit. We don't come to you with flattering words. We don't use ourselves or come with a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. I think of, we should be so thankful. We should be so thankful that the word is preached without compromise, hopefully in this church and in the churches of God. He talked about the churches of Judea. They had a, they had a network even especially in the early church where there were no denominations. There was a network of churches. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 11, he says, if any man be contentious over this issue of the head covering and, and the order of authority by which it was based on, he says, we have no other, we have no other custom, neither the churches of God. He's, so, he's saying, we have a network. We all believe the same thing. And anyone that believed differently then what the churches at that time believed and accepted was called a heretic. Heresy is having a different belief than the accepted belief of the church. And on top of that, he says, therefore there ought to be heresy among you, that those that are approved may be made manifest. There is even a reason why there is heresies, so that those that are approved, that 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 know the word of God, that have the authority in speaking the word of God, may be made manifest. And in, and in this world that we live in, there are tens of thousands of denominations, everyone with a different flavor, everyone with a different position, some with utterly false, terrible, blasphemous, sacrilegious doctrines. We are not the only church that will be saved. And it's not the church that's saved. It's individuals that believe in Jesus Christ, that believe his teachings, that have obeyed his doctrine, that have served him faithfully. It's not churches that are saved. I will warn against other churches that preach false doctrine, and I've seen them, and I've warned others about the, the, the lies, especially these deceitful workers. A re very refreshing scripture came to me when I was studying another topic, actually, in Deuteronomy. And this is what God told the nation of Israel before they were to, about to enter the promised land in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. 4 verse 7. For what nation is there so great? For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? As the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I have set before you this day? Do we really cherish the truths that we know? 
that we believe are true from the word of God? Do we rejoice in that? Do we see how blessed we are? Do we really see how blessed we are? When you look around you and you see the lies and the deceit that's going on and the, the pastors that are fleecing their sheep and taking their money and, and leading them into frenzies and, and this health and wealth movement, do we see the benefits of a sober, wholesome gospel and teaching? Or do we look for bigger experiences? And they'll give you bigger experiences. They'll give you louder music and, and gold dust falling from the ceilings and lying wonders. They'll give you that. I've researched this, read books about it because people have been sucked into this. People from our own circles have gone to other places looking for more. And if they would admit it, they were woefully disappointed. Oh, the wholesome gospel. Have we considered what great a word God has given to us? We didn't come flattering and, and with a cloak of maliciousness, deceiving people. No, nor of men sought we glory. We were looking for fame, for ambition, for, for popularity as others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But he said, we were among you gentle. We came to you gentle. Even as a, a nurse cherishes her children. Someone that looks after the children. The children that are hurt. The children that are wounded. The children that are confused. The orphans. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to, willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, not just the word, but ourselves. We gave you of our time, of our energy. We worked with our own hands so we wouldn't have to burden you. Yes, Paul was a preacher, an evangelist, a teacher, an apologist, and he worked day and night perhaps in the night, to earn enough keep so he wouldn't burden the poor disciples of Christ in Thessalonica. We gave of ourselves. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day because we would not, we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And he preached it. To Timothy he said that... The, that <clears throat> Those that preach the gospel, and they should be worthy of double honor. And I wasn't speaking about honor and, 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 and lifting someone up in, in status. He was speaking about timea. He was speaking about pecuniary value, money, support. In, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, he says that you shouldn't muzzle the mouth of an ox that treads out the, the corn. And he was willing, he said, it's okay to receive that, but I didn't receive it from you. Lest anyone thought that that's why I came, to be supported physically. 
That was my income preaching the gospel. That I would take advantage of that. He said, you're witnesses. You've seen me. You've seen us. How, how justly, how holily, how unblameably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we have exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Paul didn't just take this as a job, as an obligation. He took this as being one of them, as a father, part of their family. He had compassion as a father. As, as I believe the psalm says, that God is one that pitieth his children. He's got compassion and love for them. That's why he does it. And because God does that for us, we ought to do that for each other. We are to have pity and compassion. Compassion is the... Actually, I just have something here. I just saw it now. A couple of weeks ago, I was in, uh, in Kitchener speaking about compassion for the, for the orphans. And I just have it here, the, the notes that I have. Compassion motivates people to go out of their way to help the physical, mental, or emotional pains of another and themselves. Compassion is often regarded as having sensitivity and an emotional aspect to suffering. Compassion involves feeling for another and is a precursor to empathy. The feeling as another, yeah, feeling for another is sympathy. Feeling as another, as if someone is, you are suffering, you know what they feel like because you have gone through the same thing. But when you haven't experienced that, you really can't identify. You say, oh, I know how you feel. You really do know how you feel. If you knew how some of our widows feel, would you, why haven't you gone to visit them? I know how you feel. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about this man by the name of Eric Ludi when he had this vision of this boy on the, on the highway, on the, on the side of the road in Liberia. And he was sitting there alone. And he went home. And two o'clock in the morning, he got woken up and he heard God speak to him. And he said, what if that was your boy? What if that was Hudson? What would you do then? He said, well, if that was Hudson, I'd claw my way through concrete to get to him. And if I couldn't get to him, I'd call my friends from all over the world. Get on a plane. I'll give you the coordinates where he is. Get to him. He needs help. He needs to be rescued. And then he heard God say to him, Eric, that's my Hudson. My Hudson. Talk about the end times, Jesus said. In that day, he's going to divide the sheep from the goats. 
Sheep going to go on the right side, the, the goats on the left. To the ones on the right, he said, I was in prison. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. And you ministered to me. You gave me to eat. You gave me drink. You visited me. When, Lord, when did we do that? When you did it to the one of the least, the least of mine, you've done it to me. And to the ones on the left, he says, you didn't visit me. I was in prison, hungry, naked, thirsty. And you didn't minister to me. When did we do that? We didn't do it to one of mine. I remember when, uh, when the kids were younger, we used to listen to Story Hour in the van, traveling. And they had one on the life of Paul. It was a story I forget. But the one was on the life of the Apostle Paul, all the difficulties and the hardships and the sufferings he went through to minister to the kingdom of God. And at the end of the tape, I remember my son. Orion said, I want to be like Apostle Paul. We have enough inspirational examples in the Bible alone, let alone around us, that we see every day in the papers, on the internet. It doesn't move us to be a father to the fatherless, compassionate to those that need compassion and assistance. And he did this that they would walk worthy of God who had called you unto the kingdom, his kingdom and glory. The similar verse here that we see is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You call yourself Christians? We call ourselves Christians? Are we walking worthy of that calling? It's a high calling. Are we walking worthy of that calling? He's not saying, are we talking worthy of that calling? He says, are we walking worthy of that calling? Are we, walk, are we walking the talk? You've heard that cliche. For this cause we thank also God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is the truth. The word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Is the word of God working effectually in us? Are we reading the word of God to remind us, to inspire us, to edify us, to strengthen us, to convict us, that will motivate us to walk worthy of the calling wherewith we have been called?
And Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, for what is our hope or our joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? This was his hope and glory, that they would be walking worthy of the calling with which they had been called. Because out of much anguish and labor, he begat them in the gospel. As there is labor and labor pains and, 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 and difficulties in bringing forth a child, that's how Paul felt. There was a lot of labor and anguish when the church at Thessalonica was born. And now he wants to see them grow from being babes to being effectual ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that it is for us as well. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Are we uh, a Christ-waiting church? Are we waiting for the coming of the Lord? Christ didn't mean for us to wait for him, as perhaps some do, When there's impending judgment or war, they get into a bunker, go underground, and wait till it's all over. Even though we are non-resistant, non-combatant, when it comes time to war, Paul gave the analogy of a soldier and when it comes to service for the Lord. He says that no man entangles himself with the affairs of this life. No soldier, he was saying, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. When you do that, you completely get distracted from what the war is all about. Because this life has a lot to offer, comforts and peace and quietness and it's too hard out in the battlefield remember why we have been called to be serving the Lord for his glory and believe it or not for our edification and fulfillment we talked about that this morning brother Edmund in his sermon about truly being fulfilled by things that really matter what really fulfills us Try it. If you haven't, really make attempts to go out and preach the word to somebody next to you or visit the widow or the orphan. Go to the nursing home and see if that's far better spent than spending it upon yourself at home, on the computer, watching movies or just daydreaming. See if working in the Lord's vineyard is going to be far more fulfilling and you can sleep with far more contentment every night. 
I remember in Australia a long, long time ago, they advertised the military and they were saying, join the, the armed forces. There's no life like it. That's a lie. So many come home traumatized with PTSD. Some don't come home at all. But a life in the service of God, there is no life like it. It is life. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.